Batmanverse Genius Episode 6. Na 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 Batman. That'll be fun to type. In this episode, Bruce and Don talk about the fun and fantastic episodes of Batman the 1966 series. Inverse Genius is sponsored by our great Patreons at patreon.com slash obg. Head over there and all the support that you provide keeps the wheels a-rolling and we appreciate it. Thanks. Welcome back to the Inverse Genius Podcast. Uh, we are here to talk about something I am quite passionate about. I am Bruce Vogue. Hey, uh, you've listened to things. You probably know how to find me. And joining me, one of the cornerstones of the on-board game podcast, none other than Donald Dennis. Hello, everybody. Uh, yep, I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me all over the wilds of the internet as Walsfio. And on Twitter, sometimes it's on-board games. I often tell people whenever they're they're going for onboard games, they are just talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I set it up, I expected that Eric and or Scott, because that's way back when I did it, okay. would both jump on and tweet and just put their little initials after it. Never happened. And so now I'm kind of wishing I had just still done it all under Walsvio. Fair enough. And then you can find me at Bruce Cothanks if you want to try and find me there, although I don't tweet much there, or at Party Gamecast, which is where I do most of my tweeting along with my wife, Rocky. Although, Oh, so you do get to share the burden. We do share the burden. What's crazy is, is we don't do the letter afterwards, but usually by the tone of what we're talking about, you can tell who it is. Uh, and most of the internet's figured that out, which I think is fantastic, because uh, as Rocky says, if it's fun or food, it's probably her. If it's, quote, boring board game stuff it's probably me <laughs> and then we split the pro wrestling stuff based on how uh crazy she thinks her opinion is if she thinks she's way out there in la la land she'll let me type whatever if she thinks it's just an average opinion a person would have she will do it i thought all of pro wrestling was way out there in la la land uh, there becomes a certain point where you can bang some drums where you are a little more controversial now there's just like any type of geekdom uh, where some opinions are kind of within the the accepted levels of crazy, and then some go just a little too far out. So she saves the too far out for her own account, and that's kind of nice. what I do with uh, Bruce Co. Thinks. But you're wondering so, out there after two minutes of talk, why are we here today? What is the thing that we are passionate about? And the thing I am passionate about, na 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 Batman. Batman is the 1966 version of Batman. Now, this is the one where if you are a new, like, gritty Batman fan, where you like the Batman that almost kills people and shakes people down and has to fight a Riddler that's more or less like Jigsaw from the Saw movies and the Joker that's cutting faces off, and uh, you hate this Batman. Because this is not so much, it has become an accepted portrayal of Batman, but it's really not. It's a Batman-themed, quirky television show. It's the, it's the Man of the Batusi, right? This is the Man of the Batusi. This is the Batman with the shark-repellent spray. Uh, and for many... No, 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 not the shark-repellent spray. The bat shark-repellent spray. That is true, it is the bat shark-repellent spray. Uh, this is the show that was, it featured Batman by Adam West. It featured Robin, played by Burt Ward. It was a show that relied incredibly heavily on its villains, uh, which included Frank Gorshin as the Riddler, 
Uh, the only other thing Frank Gorshin was really known for throughout history, as we take a look back, is the night that the Beatles originally came on Ed Sullivan, the person that was there before them was Impressionist Frank Gorshin, who would eventually play the Riddler. Uh, there was the Joker, played by Cesar Romero, who was a famous Latin lover actor at the time. And the most famous thing about this portrayal of the Joker, and it's something they always mention, is that Cesar Romero would not shave his mustache because that was his calling card. That was how he made his money. So they covered <laughs> it in this cheesy layer of powder to try to convince you that he didn't have a mustache. And it was very obvious, especially the better a copy of the show you see, the more obvious it is that he, in fact, did have a mustache. Yep. Um, you have a penguin in this by Burgess Meredith, uh, yes. who would also go on in the Rocky movies to play Mick in the Rocky movies. Who still kind of looked like the penguin. Yeah, who still very much looked like the penguin. Uh, what's also interesting about his portrayal is that the penguin didn't do that wah, 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 that we think of uh, almost up into the current portrayals of the penguin. We sort of expect it. Uh, the reason that particular affectation happened was that Burgess Meredith was allergic to cigarette smoke, but they gave him <laughs> a cigarette holder, and he would puff, and then he would get the smoke in and would start coughing. So that he didn't ruin takes, he would start to cough and go, <laughs> so that it kind of he could not ruin a take with that. Um, that is an important thing to note. And then finally, the Catwoman was played by a ton of people, uh, by Lee Merriweather, by Julie Newmar, and by Eartha Kitt. And it was a big deal with Eartha Kitt playing Catwoman in season three because it was one of these times where an African-American actress was a sex symbol and by and large, no one had anything to say about it. It was just like, by the way, this African-American woman is a sex symbol and everyone accepted it sort of as much as they were going to. I think in history, so, we're probably a lot nicer than they would have been at the time. Who's your favorite Catwoman? I'm thinking it is movie Catwoman, which I believe was Julie Newmar mm. of the three. Although maybe maybe it is Eartha Kitt because I love the sound of her voice. I think she did a lot with the voice for Catwoman that nobody else had tried. I think the other two actresses were just like, hey, I look really good in a skin tight suit. And that was about the extent of it. Uh, and yeah, and Eartha Kitt was a little more sensual, uh, I think. As opposed to simply, hey, look at me, I'm beautiful. Exactly. Exactly. So those are your four main villains. There were a ton of other people that, throughout the show. There's a lot of crazy gags in it. Um, and I think that's part of uh, what to note. Now, I'm going to start with, with you, Donald, because I watch these, and I, you know, I hate to acknowledge this, but it is something that you're a bit older than me. Uh, mm. You may have seen, did you see any of this in the original run, or were you watching it in reruns? I was probably watching it in reruns. I... I you know, that's pre-concussion period, so, I, you know, I, I don't remember. But I was definitely watching it as a cool kid when I came home from school. Um, and, you know, it's like I'd be watching that Batman, and I'd be watching the Wild Wild Wests, and, you know, a couple of other shows that were so so part of that time period. Okay, okay. Cause it's like everything still feels, if you go back and watch them now, you can say everything still feels like they're trying to get away from the theater and into television because of sort of how everything is set up. It's all staged, almost like it's a theater production, um, as opposed to it, it all feeling like it's in the real world. 
I can. See, I hadn't even really thought about that, but I can see that because that was sort of our our second transition in television. Was transition one was kind of from the radio to TV, mm-hmm. and then you're right in TV. It kind of went from on a stage as a theater to finally kind of embracing what television could be. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And and you know I remember wandering around the house and ambushing my brother and doing the pow biff bam stuff. Because my brother was seven years older than me, so he got to play the villain a lot. Uh, and it it really is sort of a foundational TV show. And, of course, the original Batmobile that they had in the show, still an amazing-looking car. Yes. Also an interesting part of the history on what kept Batman 66 from being finally produced uh, and put out as a Blu-ray. The car was an important part of it. Because at the time for the show, they sort of auctioned off bits of the show to people. So, like, the guy who made the car, they never paid him for the car, but they gave him a percentage of Batman. Mm -hmm. And they rented the car. Uh, So, when you got done and you had to figure out how you were going to produce the show, you found out that there were all these little people that owned, like, a percent or two percent or three percent of the show on top of the fact that you had Warner Brothers controlling Batman... And I want to say maybe CBS controlling the film. So you had to make the two Titans fight with each other while all these other little people had a piece here and a piece there. Uh, and from what I understand, I'll, I'll try to find the article so that we can post it along with this episode in the show notes. Uh, but it was a lot based on one guy that wanted to make 1966 Batman toys and started to figure out how hard it was to put the pieces together. So he started to look through all of the stuff and started to assemble the pieces and try to make all the big cogs fit that none of them had ever worried about because they would all kind of look at it on every side. You know, uh, the folks that had Batman, that had DC Comics, would look at it and go, oh, there's just too much trouble here for 66 to be worth it. And then you'd have, uh, it was either Paramount or CBS that controlled the rights to the film. And they would look at it and go, we should put this out. Oh, but we got to deal with... DC Comics and AOL Time Warner, it's too much trouble. So eventually one guy kind of sat there and laced all the stuff together, and that's how we've ended up with a world where there's a Blu-ray of the 66 Batman television show, and there's a comic book of the continuing adventures of Batman 66. That's kind of how all that has happened. Uh, so stuff like the, the car was a really weird piece of the puzzle when you start to go back and look at how it all fit together. I, well, and I was thinking that and one of the big problems is that right now, and I know that we're primarily talking about, you know, the old show. Yes. Is that Batman itself is not being run as a property by someone who's passionate about Batman. It is instead being run by a marketing department who is telling other people to put out movies about it. And uh, that sounds like a topic for another show. But when I think when you've got folks who are running it in that fashion, you, your expectations have to shift wildly. Yes. And I think for the 66 product, definitely, because it was it was theater of the absurd, uh, which is what it was intended to be. Uh, Batman, rather than the Batman that you may know from the comic books, where the Batman from the comic books knows what he's doing is right, but he doesn't necessarily care about the methods shy of killing people, that that seems to be his line, depending on what version of him you see. In some versions, that's not his line either, but... Mostly, I think we can accept that looking at the framework of Batman, that is his line. The Batman in Batman 1966, in the Adam West version, there is only goody-two-shoes, Boy Scout right 
and wrong. And because of that, you get a Batman that doesn't drink, he only drinks milk. You get a Bruce Wayne that's uh, constantly going to the theater, and like you get this really weird version where he's so good that it is to be comical. It is played up. It is, you know, you'll see like a magician come and, you know, Batman will say something to, or Bruce Wayne will say something to anyone listening. Like, you know, I really love magicians except for the fact that really all illusion is is a lie. And it will be left there, which yes. is crazy because, you know, obviously as the watcher of the show, you're like, you're Batman, you lie to people all the time. But Bruce Wayne doesn't believe that. <laughs> and it is the fights with the Biff Pal. Uh, there's another famous gag at the time where Batman and Robin would constantly have to walk up the side of a building, and every and then there would be yeah there would be other characters and and popular folks from culture who would pop out of the building and say hello exactly and a lot of that was based on the fact that at the time a lot of Hollywood was fighting to be a part of the show they wanted to be on they wanted to be a villain and a lot of them either couldn't commit the time to a real role or there wasn't a role that would have been good for them. Or different things. This is how we end up with a case of Master of the Macabre Vincent Price did a couple of episodes as a character called the Egghead. Yes. Uh, Mostly because he wanted to do it and the time was available. Uh, This is how you end up Frank Sinatra apparently really wanted to. Sammy Davis Jr. did a window gag because he wanted to be on the show. This was kind of the cool hip thing at the time. Um even as I look at it, because I came into Batman 66 when the 1989 movie came out with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. This made it so our local independent television station rebought the rights to the old show because it was a cheap way to put Batman on for kids. And now that the movie's coming out, the kids are going to care. So we'll run this block. It's the same way they did it with the old like 1950s Dick Tracy cartoon because the Warren Beatty Dick Tracy movie had come out. So there was a block of like Batman Batman Dick Tracy Dick Tracy. Uh so it was right. a, everything old is hot again because we don't have to pay to make it. Exactly. And that's how I ran into it. So some of this was, you know, book learning for me. That this show I, I don't even know what the equivalent would be these days that was the kind of thing where superstars really were lining up to try to be a part of it. Uh, almost, I guess, like a Big Bang Theory, where you see people in geekdom trying to fight their way onto the show, or trying to think. Can you think of anything, Donald? That's in like the well, in Trek, you had a, a lot of you know when there was a, a Trek series that was up, you would have some famous people you know going up and showing to do the makeup thing once or to appear as characters. Uh, you know, there were some rock stars and whatnot. But I think one of the deals is, is that especially when you had a lot of musicians back in the time who were trying to get into acting that they saw any opportunity to get in front of a camera is a big thing. And today it's a lot easier as a, uh, as a musician to put out a video or to get, to get yourself in front of people that it doesn't seem like there is as much of a drive to, to put yourself in front of a camera because you can do it more easily. And that may be true at that time. There was nobody really holding the reins on a show and the means of production that was making something quite as ridiculous as Batman that was having to do things like build the window gag because so many people wanted to be a part of it. Uh, It was also very heavily based on the villains. One of the things to note as you look through the history of what Batman is and how 66 influenced it, the Riddler, who we think of as this incredible, vicious villain of Batman's, was lost to time. 
Uh, at that point, the Riddler was a random one-off in the Batman comic book, and the producers of the television show liked the look of him and wanted to get him back in. Uh, same mm-hmm. thing with Catwoman. Catwoman had been sort of knocked out of the comic book by the uh, the comics code because she was considered a sexual character. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, so she had been knocked out, you know, like a decade earlier, and the Batman producers wanted to bring her back. So that I still is, can't believe you asked if I watched Batman in its original showing. I was not born in 66. I couldn't tell, because ahead of time, you and I discussed it, and you were like, I remember watching it as a kid, and I was like, maybe you're a lot older than I think you are. Which was why I said that, but feel free, I'll scrub all this. No, when no. we go right. into the final <laughs> editing. Because I was in my head going, no, what? I guess so. But no, it made no sense to me either, Donald. Don't worry about that. But I was right. like, I thought, I thought I wouldn't question. I've been sitting here for 15 minutes wondering, how old does he think I am? I wasn't sure. I was like, uh, hey, maybe I'm way off. <laughs> but so, uh, yeah, first of all, you've got to look because they were really trying to emulate a lot of the stuff in the comic books with the the words popping up on the screen when you do a hit. And I think some of that, of course, was we're trying to com- comicify violence so that the people watching TV don't think it's too violent, which is kind of odd when you say you've got folks being shot in Westerns and stuff at around this time. Yes, but you weren't seeing, and you were seeing like the cowboy fighting, but I think it was more of the theater of the absurd. This was an attempt to kind of pop, uh, pop art, not necessarily to say pop culture. You know, you're talking your, your uh, Peter Max and your Andy Warhol, I think become a little bit of an influence here. That style of art uh, starts to affect the show because the show's in bright colors and it's doing this Pam Bao Biff, I think largely, you're right, to, to make up for bad uh, fight choreography. Uh, and it's just, they, they did such amazing stuff on this show. If you can take out whatever you think Batman is, if you think Batman's this dark and gritty character, and you can let that go, they made an amazing show. Uh, and they did such weird things. Like, if you take a look, every time a villain comes on the screen, the camera tilts. Uh, literally on its axis, the camera tilts because the villains are crooked and they shoot them crooked. Uh, and these were things they knew they were doing. They did this with intent. This wasn't an accident. This was creative people taking something and melding it into the, what they wanted it to be. Uh, the big danger of this show was it was the number one show in the country for no way. quite a while. Uh, there were huge blocks of mostly like high college kids that were watching this to the point where they, were, they started doing the two-part shows and showing both parts the same night rather than using them as a cliffhanger. Because of this, the influence on the comic book became huge. Comic book gritty Batman, the one that you would get at your comic shop, your DC Comics comic, uh, started to look like the television show in sort of the worst ways. Uh, it became a little pow biff. He became a little gosh golly. Uh, Fat might. Exactly. And that was not how things were supposed to go. And some will say that that wasn't completely corrected until Death in the Family and the Killing Joke in the 80s. That until, you know, the Joker was beating people to death with a crowbar and shooting Barbara Gordon through the spine, that Batman had lost his way through a lot of... Through, all of the rest of the 60s and a lot of the 70s going into the 80s, that he didn't become that gritty character again. 
Um, and I don't think any fan of 66 intended for the comic book to get tainted by the show. Uh, as a fan of 66, I just want you to watch the show as the lovely thing that it is, which it is a love letter to this type of hero and villain, but done in the most absurd, high-camp way possible. A and when you're watching it, everything that you would assume is a mistake or they didn't know what they were doing was probably highly calculated. Um. Uh I have a tough time believing that it was that highly calculated, but, but done with intent. Let's, let's let's go with that. Intentional, if not calculated. You, you could be right. You could be right. Intentional, if not calculated. Because there was a lot of drugs on set, if I'm not mistaken. I There would have had to have been. If there wasn't, I would be upset as a fan to know about it. Uh, can we talk Can we talk about the Bruce Wayne Batman character for a second? Absolutely. All right. So nowadays, Batman is the super ninja who is richer than Richie Rich. I mean, he has got all of the monies, yes, right? all every he bit is, of it. He has so much money that, that apparently if he wanted to, he could buy all of Gotham City, renovate it, put everybody to work, and drop crime to zero. So instead, he's just an angry man going around beating people up. Um, in, in this version, in the Batman 66 version, he at least has pretense at being an actual detective, and he's not the world's greatest fighter, uh, so a lot of what gets him through is is his dedication to the cause and you know his civic responsibility I guess. Where where do you think that that this version of Batman is coming from? Uh this version of Batman appears to be a guy that inherited money from his parents and is trying to use it to do good. Uh every time you see this Bruce Wayne it's always like a charity gala. Uh in this version Dick Grayson is his ward. And they also have, like, an, uh, they have Aunt Harriet, which Aunt Harriet lives with them. Aunt Harriet's never been a part of Batman beyond this. They also have Alfred, which is very much the same Alfred that you're used to. He knows everything that's going on and helps as much as he can. Uh, this Batman and Dick Grayson are kind of strange because they have to hide what they're doing from Aunt Harriet. And every time they do, it is always Bruce Wayne taking uh, Dick Grayson to some sort of outdoor adventure. It's always like, hey, Anne Harriet, we have to go fishing. Hey, Anne Harriet, it's time for us to go for our weekly run. Uh, and then that's when they go to the bust of Shakespeare, flip a switch, and become uh, Batman and Robin. Uh, and often, whenever you see Bruce Wayne out, he's just a philanthropist. It's always Bruce Wayne helps Children's Hospital. Bruce Wayne gives money to the Gotham Museum of Art. Uh, so it seems to me he's just kind of a bumbling rich guy that just wants to do what he can to help town. And he, he doesn't even appear to be, in this version, all that rich. Um, he's at Wayne Manor, so he clearly has a lot of money. But Stately Wayne Manor. Stately Wayne Manor. Uh, but you don't see him. He doesn't like own multiple buildings in town. Uh, every once in a while, there'll be a mention of like the Wayne Foundation, which is the only other sign of wealth you ever see. And the Wayne Foundation does a ton of stuff throughout town whenever it needs to push a plot along. Right. I mean, and it's obvious that he's rich, but yes. he's just not uh, as rich as a country. Yeah, he's not in, in the Forbes scale. He's not the number one richest person in the world where clearly the one in the comic books and the movies we see now is is like the richest man in the world. I don't like I don't like where they've taken him since then, I guess is what I'm saying. I, and, and and you always mention or you have mentioned a couple times how it's such a villain centric show. Batman 
any Batman show is only as good as his villains. Yes. Ba- right. Batman is the straight man to and, every villain he has. And a, a lot of that has to do with how he's been constructed or deconstructed over the years. But but back then you had... Um, who played Poison Ivy? There was a Poison Ivy. There was not a Poison Ivy because she had not been created, I don't think, at this point. However, I'm looking around the room for my copy of the official Batman Bat book so that I can look for you. Because that is a thing. There actually was a book. And as a kid, as like a nine-year-old kid, some kids got really deep into dinosaurs and some kids got really deep into space shuttles. I got really deep into the 1966 Batman. Uh, I bought the book and studied it and looked at every episode and watched it whenever it came on. Uh one of the greatest moments is uh, recently I picked up a copy of the 1966 Batman. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law bought me the super-duper deluxe edition of the Blu-rays, and I have loved watching through those and going back through those shows. Uh, but wow. I feel like there was... I don't think there was a Poison Ivy on that show. No, there wasn't. There wasn't. Um, at least... Uh, yeah, she wasn't based on... There was not a character like that based on the comic books, now that I'm looking. Yeah. Um, though it's kind of amazing, the villains that were created for the show... I mean, you mentioned Egghead, but King Tut was one that I remember King, from w- way back. Yeah, King Tut or, was invented for the show. Um, Roddy McDowell played the bookworm. Oh, love... I love Roddy McDowell. Yeah, and he played... it was He was just... He attacked with a giant book and said book-themed things... Uh, well, I guess I am a librarian, so... I can, that makes sense. And what's really neat is in the hero clicks that they made for 1966, they got a lot of those jokes right. Like, oh, cool. a bookworm does have a giant book that comes with him. Like, any of the villains sort of have giant props that go with them. I want to say Zsa Gabor, maybe, played the Queen of Diamonds. Uh, there was another character named Shane that was sort of based on Robin Hood... Uh, essentially, they would find an actor, and if an actor really wanted to do it, they would tailor a character to them. So you got a lot of like weird throwaway characters. Uh, the other neat thing, so a couple jumping on points if you're interested in this show. One, take a look at the 1966 movie uh, that features everyone. This has been out for a lot of years, and this was, this was very clearly owned by one entity, which is why it's always been out. Uh, this mm-hmm. is the one that introduces the concept that the villains that Batman has that are important are the Joker, the Riddler, Penguin, and the Catwoman. Uh, they're all four attack him at the same time, and it is pretty amazing. This is also where we get the bat shark repellent. There's an important scene where he goes out into the middle of the ocean and he gets attacked by a shark. And if you listen to the show, to the movie, loud enough, he punches the shark and you can actually hear the sound of a grown man punching a rubber shark. <laughs> uh, they don't hide this at all. He shoots it with, he punches it a couple times and you hear that same sound of almost like a basketball hitting the floor. <laughs> And then he sprays it with the Batman bat shark repellent, and it drops. Uh, that is an important scene from that movie that a lot of people talk about. Also, there's a scene where a giant bomb has been set up at the pier, and it is Batman running around the pier with this bomb that has to be... It's bigger than a beach ball, and it's lit. 
and he runs one way, and there's a bunch of school children, and he has to turn around and run the other way, and then there's a bunch of nuns, and then he runs a third way, and it's like a whole bunch of old people, and he runs back the first way, and it's a bunch of nuns, and he runs back the other way, and it's a bunch of school kids, and finally he throws it in the water and, and looks at the camera and goes, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> and, and this is, uh, Adam West plays the straight man to everyone, does an amazing job at it. Batman never makes the joke. He's always there for everyone else to be crazy. Um, there's also an incredible amount of deus ex machina in this, uh, largely in the place of Robin. Because Robin, can every obtuse clue everyone gives, Robin knows the answer. No one knows why Robin knows the answer, because Riddler will give these ridiculous riddles that make no sense. And this is where you get sort of this particular part of the Batman lore of... Uh, Red, that must mean it's Red Street. Red and First, I believe there's the First Bank of Gotham. They must be at the First Bank of Gotham. And everyone goes. Where there's no amount... No one knows how you'd put those pieces together, but magically Robin can do it. And that also comes from the 1966 Batman show. As does putting the word bat in front of everything you have and properly labeling everything around you. All of that that kind of sometimes sneaks into Batman is all directly from the 1966 show, which were all jokes that they loved doing uh, on set and thought were fun things for theater of the absurd. Oh, boy, that just takes me back. The other neat thing is, is DC Comics did a comic book recently, like of the last year or two, Batman 66, and they decided to explore some of the things that we were curious about. So they have a Bane in there. So it gives you an idea of what maybe a 1966 outfit design for Bane would look like. Uh, there is a Harley Quinn that appears in it. There is a Poison Ivy that appears in it. They also found that apparently Ellison had written an episode that featured Two-Face. Uh, Harlan Ellison. I have that right, don't I? You're the librarian. Yeah, I know Harlan Ellison. Okay, Harlan yeah, Ellison I'm... apparently had written an episode of Batman back in 1966 that featured Two-Face. And they just never produced it for whatever reason, whether they thought it was too expensive. They since have made it a comic book with a design of what Two-Face may have looked like on the 1966 show. So they did really kind of a neat thing of going back and sort of piecing some of that stuff together to try and take all these new villains that have been created and fire them through the prism of 1966 fashion and these, this sort of pop art aesthetic. Uh, the other thing is, 66 Batman, they've stopped making that title. However, they have cut deals with every comic book company on Earth to cross it over. So there is Batman meets the Green Hornet. There is Batman meets the Man from Uncle. There is Batman meets, uh, I think, I Spy. There is So all these people that are holding these little pieces of media comic bookdom are getting to cross over with 66. So you're getting like the Man from Uncle meets Batman, which is very cool. So it's kind of like the uh, the Batman 66 version of What If. Yes, with all of these properties. I haven't seen that he's crossed over with the Ghostbusters yet, but I'm sure they will try it. Um, yeah, if we don't do an episode on the Ghostbusters, I'm going to be sad disappointed. Someone needs to do that. Oh, I'm sure that we are going to. I don't know who will be a part of it, but I know that that's going to be a thing that we do. Uh, but mostly, if you want kind of a wackier take on Batman, if you like high camp... Uh, this is really considered a pinnacle point for camp, is the 1966 Batman. And if you want something a little wackier, um, 
I would say check it out. I think a lot of really cool stuff was done there if you can get past your own belief that they did terrible things to a character that you care a lot about. Um, for me, I care a lot about this 1966 Batman far more than I do the darker versions that have since come. Not that I don't like them. Not I mean, I have a Killing Joke tattoo because that was the comic book that got me into comic books for better or for worse. Uh, that is a book I kind of wish we would hide a little more in the comic book world and not celebrate quite as much as we do. Um, yeah. But that's a completely different topic. Uh, but this Batman, this is a kid's Batman. This is one you can do to introduce young children to what comic books can be. Um, okay, well, well, it is a kid's back Batman, but they, much like they did with Looney Tunes back in the day, there are jokes in there that are not for kids. Oh, it's just like the Muppets as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I would, and it does have the best version of you know Mister Freeze. That's <laughs> oh, and Mister Freeze was played by like nine different people. Yep. Throughout the yeah. period of the show, that's one I never really thought about because he was never a favorite character of mine. But I looked that up, and there were a ton of people who played him. Uh, and it had Liberace in it. I mean, yeah. come on, L- Liberace was. It was just when you look at if you look back at this, just with your knowledge, it's sort of like watching the movie. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Mm-hmm. Where if I had lived in the period, I really would have freaked out about that movie because it was all the stars of the day in one movie. But even looking at it through the eyes of someone you know that is that that was born, you know, twenty five years after it was made, knowing how many of those people I still know is shocking. And I think that's a lot in the Batman show. You're like they didn't just take a musician; they took Liberace and put him on the show. You know, they didn't just put some random person in the window. They put members of the Rat Pack in the window. And I think that is to, to be noted. I think it's kind of a neat time capsule and a really cool way to see how really weird stuff can be made in a way that's very accessible to anyone. Nice. Well, I don't I don't have anything else to really say about it except for... It. It's one of my favorite versions of Batman. <laughs> yeah, I would say if you can, if you're not a huge fan, you can get your hands on sort of the the season one, season two DVDs that have come out because they're pretty cheap at Target. I would do it. I have the super deluxe edition on Blu-ray, but I'm that geek. Uh, if you can get the 1966 movie, if you only want one thing and you'd love to know what we're babbling about, uh, but you only have two hours to learn it, get the 1966 movie. If at the end of that you still don't like it, then there is nothing for you in this property. That movie is a great encapsulation of what they did with that show in sort of the most beautiful way. Yes. All right. Well, I'm Donald Dennis. And I'm Bruce Vogue. And this has been the Inverse Genius Podcast. Uh, where, where can they find you again, Bruce, real quick, uh, before we go away? Okay. You can find me on Twitter as either at BruceCoThinks. Uh, probably if you want to discuss Batman stuff, that's probably the place to go. Or at Party Gamecast if you want to hear about game things. Uh, and you can find my show, The Party Gamecast, featuring The Party Gamecast, wherever your fine podcasts are sold. Uh, also, I am a part of On Board Games, if you did not know. I'm occasionally on there. If you'd like to hear me, one out of every three to four episodes, I'm probably a part of it. Yes. And you can find me, Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, on RPGs, and here on occasion, and uh, all over the wilds of the internet as well, Sfio. And thank you so much for listening. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.